0: This is Sam Weigel from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to The Legendarian.
1: But why? Why is she my Because favorite? she's a sexy Gandalf. Yes. <laughs> yes. Strong, <laughs> oh, magical, dude. sexy Gandalf. That's why.
2: You um, just put a fetish in his head. <laughs>
1: somebody get that hat down off my bookshelf. I'm going to take my shirt off and put it on. <laughs> number two of the eye of the world welcome back everybody it is the legendarium podcast i'm craig hanks your host and with me he is like a burial plot literally the last thing you need it's ryan bruckman
2: and just as holy <laughs> i don't know no, no i wasn't gonna go
1: there <laughs> well, and he's like the legendarium's underwear we're we're glad we have him we just don't want to show him off it's ken johnson
0: i was gonna say just as grave but yeah. oh, oh nice man
2: yeah too bad i didn't you're so supportive (laughs) (laughs) wow this is gonna be the dad joke episode it's gonna be bad well here's
1: another one for you his brain collects more dust than a vacuum cleaner it's kyle lemon welcome back kyle (laughs) well done (laughs) that was that was the
3: brain collecting dust (laughs)
1: uh yeah welcome back indeed it is uh eye of the world number two the last time we met uh we did not get very far in that discussion well i mean we got an hour into it like the
2: hobbits in the shire we We were still at the beginning i was gonna say
1: did we even get into the two rivers let alone out of the two rivers we did (laughs) the the, remember the wind whistled out of the mountains or whatever it was and got the Two rivers but uh we have so much to talk about i uh, don't promise to get through everything in this uh episode but we'll we'll see what we can get to i do want to start because I think we made a joke at the end of the last one about, uh, like, we didn't even get to the main characters. Maybe that's a good place to start. Let's talk about the characters, because, Kyle, you and I were talking a while ago about how this story isn't so much... uh, What did you say? It's not a a plot story. It's a character story. Yeah, it's
3: definitely not plot-driven. You don't have... You know, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but you don't have the... There's the one ring and we've got to take it to Mount Doom and toss it in. And then, you know, that's and then the, the world end is saved You don't have the ex- the yellow exclamation point quest button over <laughs> the head of, you know, whoever it is um, there. The, the quest in general in the eye of the world is basically get as far away from the two rivers as you can, because there are evil forces coming in that, you know, that want wanna kill to kill you, you. you know, snatching your people up, that kind of thing.
1: That sounded funny. I don't know why.
3: (laughs) So it's definitely, in my mind, much more of a character-driven story than a plot-driven story. That's not to say that it's devoid of plot. But where Robert Jordan really excels as a writer, in my opinion, is his character building. Along with his world building. And his
1: world building. I was going to say that, too, because I, I was struck by the time we got to uh, maybe white bridge or so. I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, nothing's the same thing is happening. We're running eh, bad things, catch up. So we run and then bad things catch up and we run. And I was like, come on, give me something else. But then I stopped myself and thought, no, hang on because I really like the main characters he's drawn up for me. And I really, really like the settings he's drawn up. Um, whether it's Shadar-Logoth or the Two Rivers or White Bridge itself. Uh, he has a very, very vivid imagination and uh, is very competent at transmitting that imagination to me. Uh, and I appreciate that about him. What, so, Ryan, do you have, like, a favorite place so far that you've visited? Um, and, and we can do the whole book, by the way. We're not um, going to limit it to the first part of the book or anything like that.
2: Well... I would be torn between two. One is, I believe it's Camelon, uh, where he meets E-lay- Elaine. 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 And
1: Queen Morgause. Queen Morgause, yeah. And Gowan.
2: The and uh, Master
1: Gil, let's throw out more names. <laughs> 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 names are fun.
2: Um, I actually am a little surprised we and we, loyal we haven't done a recap. Like we generally, when we go through stories, we do a recap of what happens in the book. and We haven't really done that. I just I did. Did you not hear it? <laughs> we ran away. Bad things catch up. We ran away. That's exactly it. there. It is. Um, but I, I really liked Camelin because it it gave them. It's the first exceptionally different place outside of the two rivers. They've had larger cities and every time they get to a new place it's like, whoa this place has a giant wooden wall. Whoa, this yeah. place has a giant brick wall. Whoa, this place has a lot of brick walls. Like <laughs> That's basically what they do for the first little bit. So I enjoyed Camelon and the the political issues that were going on there with the red and white um, wearing. Oh, that was cool. Yeah, you know, the, it's something the wrappings. There, and it's one thing that I, I really hope continues is that as we inter, as we discover different places, that there is some element that is unique to that city or or area that we can easily identify. Um, so with Camelin you can easily identify their you know it's it's a, it's by, uh, it's run by a queen. They have the queen's men. They have issues with the Children of Light. Um, again, I've I've read a little further forward. I just got into another city where they play this game that has a really funny name, which I can't think of at the moment. But uh, that's, it's a very identif- clearly memorable, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but a very nice identifying piece to this because one of the biggest issues I have with world building is you can build a beautiful and wonderful world, but if I can't remember what is where or why it's important, it doesn't matter. It reminds yeah. me, I, I don't often
1: go back to um, the Belgariad. For some reason, I I liked it fine, but it didn't quite stick with me the way some other things do. But it does remind me of how, in the Bulgarian, it's like, wait, which place is that? Oh, that's the Vikings. Oh, Mm -hmm. those are the Arthurian knights. Those ones are the, you know, and you can run through the list of all these cultures that he based things on. Maybe something like that is going on. Um, uh, Camelin. by the way, I just want you to know, I looked that one up too, Camelin uh camlan Kam- or camlon camelot no 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 see i want camelot as well it's not camelot um at least i don't think so Camlan the, the but... battle of Camlan is a silly place is where <laughs> is where king arthur <laughs> received his mortal wound at the hand of mordred mm-hmm. at, at the battle of Camlan. Uh, and so because <laughs> that's Rand, not foreshadowing. Yeah, at I all. was gonna say Rand <laughs> is probably our Arthur character here. I mean, he's probably a lot of things, but Arthur not Iron Hawkwing. No, I don't think wrong. so. Wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, it's you're <laughs> oh, a <laughs> postman. Uh, okay, so another no. I
3: totally just messing with you. <laughs> well,
1: no, I I do want to talk about that because I I'm a super duper nerd uh, when it comes to language, and so I when I read. Arthur Pendrag Tanrael, I was like, I'm going to have to look that up. Okay, so you have Arthur, obviously. And it, maybe it is referring to King Arthur or something like that. Uh, uh, Pendrag. Pendragon is actually a Welsh term for, like, the chief of princes. It means the chief dragon. Uh, and then Tanrael was what I thought was most interesting. So you might be, if you've read or watched uh, The Da Vinci Code, or if you're just... Educated in general. Then you might know sangreal, uh, which is like the word for the Holy Grail. It means true blood, royal blood, royal blood. There you go. Uh, the royal blood. Anyway, uh, "tonreal." So tan is actually Old English for branch. Uh, well, I mean, there are a few different uh, translations, but basically it means branch, and then real would be true. Um or real. And so Arthur Pendragon or King Arthur might be like a, a true descendant of Luz Theron, who is Randall Thor, who is Luz Theron, who you know, something like that. It's cyclical. It's cyclical, yeah. We've real. talked about this. So anyway.
2: <laughs> who is the dragon of our age? I don't know. <laughs> Donald <laughs> Donald Trump, maybe?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, anyway, now that I'm done geeking out on name stuff for I,
2: the moment, I'm curious because of what you're talking there with that um, the Aes Sedai have Angriels and Saw Angriels yeah. and things like that that all help them to channel more of the one power than they can handle on their own and I'm I'd be curious if that had, if any of those things that you just described would also have a tie-in, have a tie into that with that that piece. I don't know I
1: don't really, I mean, we've seen Moraine use uh, an Angreal, but we don't really know a lot about them yet, except that they're
2: a powerful relic of some kind. They're right. probably like blackberries. They're just like carrying around blackberries and they just oh, oh. To like have. Them. I thought you
1: meant the actual fruit. I'm no. like, what are you talking about? Mm, these Angreals
2: are delicious. <laughs> no, they just happen to be catching on to latent Wi Fi connections that they're just channeling Wi Fi through an old blackberry or something. <laughs> Uh, Ken, do, yes. you have a, do you have a favorite setting so far? Um, I think or character
1: besides land. Don't <laughs> say land; I'm going to murder you. I actually like. Uh, oh I wait, a, weren't we going to start with main characters? I'll get there in just a second. We we're going to start with main whatever. Um, what's the wolf guy's name? I had it. In Elias par- men
2: No. Elias, Elias Machira? Machir-
0: Machir- Machir- Machira. Machira. <laughs> Machira. Machira. I like him. Machete. <laughs> <laughs> the man of nature. He, you know, talks to wolves. He, I just yeah, mountain, man. mountain man, mountain man. Yeah, he, he reminds me of uh, Vincent Monofrio's character in the Magnificent Seven remake. There you go. <laughs> nice.
1: Or any number of other mountain men. Yeah,
0: mountain men guys who you know are kind of like men out of time. And Kyle, what's your favorite? Feel more comfortable. Favorite on...
1: place or favorite character? Um, let's let's go place. We will get to. I was going to say favorite characters. place is
0: that little solitude place they the the sanctuary they step across when they're oh, like chased by the jolts and ravens. Yeah. yeah, that was, that was pretty,
3: pretty good. Yeah. Um, my favorite place, it's probably a toss-up between... I love Shadar Logoth. I love the idea of it. I love the the fact that it's just completely corrupt. And both, both forces of the light and forces of the dark, if you will, are just terrified to go there, if anybody knows what it actually is. Um, so I love shadow shadow logoth in general um, yeah and then I really like Shinar and pretty much the the borderlands in general mm-hmm. um, the culture behind it the idea that they're very very I see them as as very Japari- Japari- Japanese Japanese like Japanese Japanese like samurai culture they have their top knots they have their katanas which you know are like the the heron marked styled blades and um, and that everything is geared for war. Um, they don't take a whole lot of pride in building these beautiful walls and these beautiful structures. They, I mean, they have their own beauty in themselves, as, as I think Rand kind of points out as they get to Shinar. But everything is functional. Everything is there to defend the rest of the world from the Blight. So, yeah.
2: That's pretty dope. Which the Blight is another one of those places that I'm I'm kind of torn because I know how terrible it is, but when you realize just how deadly and dangerous it is, it becomes very, very cool.
1: It is very cool. I liked the Blight as well, except that I, I didn't feel like we got enough there. There no, he didn't. had spent so much time in so many places and, and given us so much rich detail, and then they get to the blight and just zoom right through it and get to the, the green man place, whatever it's called. I don't know. But anyway, um, I, so let's talk about characters then let's actually go and talk about main characters. There's like, I don't know, six to eight main characters basically in this book. Uh, and let's talk about which ones are our favorites there right now. Right, think, I think, oh, oh, sorry,
3: not to interrupt. I thought, um, I was reading on, I think it was the legendarium site and somebody had made a comment about like, making notes and predictions for the series. And like, if something is the, what you predict later on in the series. Um, and since we have kind of a, a diverse group of, we've already kind of read through the series. It's hard to make those story predictions, but I, although I do
1: think we should make Ken do that. We should make Ken do that. However,
3: I do think it would be interesting to see who everybody's like favorite main character is now. And does it change by the time we get to book six or to book 10 or to book 14 or 35? Um, You know, does it change over the course of the story? Because I, for one, definitely changed who I could not absolutely stand and who I was like waiting to read. And then it would get down further into the into the book and I'd be like totally opposite. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, maybe. Yeah. Okay. let's start there then uh ken your favorite so
0: far i honestly i mean in terms of character progression i think i like rand Probably the best, which isn't usual for me to like the main character. I, I usually gravitate to one of the side characters, but I really like the way that Rand has progressed through this entire book. He starts out as kind of whiny. I don't want to leave the Two Rivers. Uh, you know, I want to be a, a sheep farmer. a Tashi station. I want, to get yeah, some power converters. He, he doesn't. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to go. He wants to be a simple farm boy with his dad, who he doesn't know is his adopted dad, and you know, and and think his simple life. And as he goes along, he accepts his. Uh, mantle of leadership uh, as they get separated and he kind of keeps everything moving <laughs> and he gets serious about what he's doing. And, and toward the end, he just, he really accepts what he's got to do. I, I, I marked a quote that I just, I loved. Where, um, what does he say? He says, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of you threatening my friends. I will run no more. I just, I love the simple, you know, it, it talks about, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And And he accepts that. I love it. I think Rand is a great character.
2: Duly noted. Ryan? So, anyone who knows me, there's about a 90% chance in any epic fantasy book that I'm going to like the main character. That's who I'm going to like the most. It's not a hard piece there. Uh, Rand is my favorite in this, but I know from my previous reading that I grew to appreciate Matt more. Because I used to run around with pens up my sleeve that I could pull out and throw like daggers. <laughs> and uh, it was all because I... You were I cool. <laughs> <laughs> that was often the word used to describe me growing up. <laughs> yes. That's
1: all right. Considering the fact that the person you ran around with most often doing that was me, I really shouldn't make too much fun.
0: How many yes. pens did you take off the head?
2: What? The, the worst the, the worst was there was a we had a neighbor kid who drove by like he was probably 17 or whatever in his beat-up old high school car and he zipped past and he yelled at us and so i without even thinking reached up my sleeve grabbed one of the pens and chucked it at his car and i dinged it off of his <laughs> gas tank like <laughs> you actually heard it go clink he slams on the brakes gets out there what do you think you're doing you want to, to pay for my car and you like that and i was like i'm Matt. <laughs> <laughs> With all the same ferocity that you would say, I'm Batman. I'm like, I'm that <laughs> <laughs> Who was that? Uh this is when the Bennions lived in our oh, okay. neighborhood. <laughs> all right, that this makes was sense. Ricky Bennions' older brother.
1: <laughs> uh Kyle? Um, I mean I know this is I, your eighteenth. Yeah, it's time several through. times
3: through. Um and not to go with the group, but let me
1: let me uh, yeah, it okay, you're about to say Rand I'm About to
3: say Rand, but that's after several readings. Um I remember originally reading through the series and I actually gravitated more towards Perrin because I feel like Perrin has a very similar demeanor to myself. I am nowhere near as strong or capable with a hammer as Perrin is. Um, But just the way that they, that Robert Jordan describes Perrin and that Perrin kind of describes himself in the idea that he likes to stay quiet he likes to listen to things and take them in for a long time before he decides to actually say things or and a lot of people would you know look at him in Emmonsfield like, oh he's a little bit slower or he's just this big guy, you know, big dumb guy or whatever. But not really, because he really takes the information that's given to him and it internalizes it before he makes those decisions. And so I remember gravitating more towards Perrin. Um in my initial read, than than Matt or any of the others, so. Alright,
2: Perrin also it? has the one of the things, and I don't know if he says it in Eye of the World or or later on or not, but he, it's one of those things that when you're a bigger guy, you have to slow down because you can hurt people. Otherwise, he makes some comment about mm-hmm. that, and I really it made me really appreciate Perrin um, more for for that aspect of him that it's not just slow process of thought stupidity. It's This is for the safety and for the care of others that I need to slow my life down so that I'm I'm aware and and, and in control.
3: And he's always – out of the three, especially in this book, he's definitely the most mature from the Mm get-go. And, I mean – Definitely Matt is the most immature. And then you have probably Rand in the middle somewhere because Rand tends to be able to be pulled by Matt in their shenanigans and things like that, as you as you see as we're in Emmonsfield. It seems like Perrin is the most mature. And I don't know if that's because he's the uh, apprentice to the blacksmith and actually has, like, kind of a profession that he has to do while the others are still kind of at home tending sheep with the family kind of thing.
2: That's um, kind of why I figured. That- hey. There's uh, one thing that I actually came to really enjoy is the uh, relationship between Perrin and Rand in regards to women. How they (laughs) both are always like, uh, I wish (laughs) I I I, was 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 Perrin, I wish I was Rand. The running joke, yeah. Yeah, I think that I I laughed at that and enjoyed
1: it. I I enjoyed that too. And how true to life is it? Oh, Oh, yeah. We look at other people and see how easily they... Oh, man, that
3: dude's so cool. Like, he does everything and he's probably just thinking, like, what the freak did I just say to her? Like,
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, sure. I would probably choose Moiraine, Moiraine. as my I favorite. It. Yeah, yeah. I can like, go hit. with Moiraine. I it so well. let me let me ask why? Because she's, she's my like, favorite character. Because
0: she's like Polgara.
1: But why? But why? Why is she my? Because
3: favorite? she's a sexy Gandalf. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes,
1: strong <laughs> oh, magical dude. sexy Gandalf. That's why.
2: You um, just put a fetish in his head. <laughs> somebody get that hat down
1: off my bookshelf. I'm gonna take my shirt off and put it on. Uh, uh,
2: You just you tend to gravitate towards the magical characters, but not for their magic, uh, for their insight, for their insight and wisdom, control of their demeanor and drive to get the job done for the cause of the greater good. And that fit. I mean, that's Moraine right there really well.
1: I, you know, I hate to say this, ladies and gentlemen, but Ryan just nailed it. That was pretty much spot on. Uh, so congratulations. Yeah, no, she, I think that r- sums it up really well. There's, um... Talk about how predictable I am, geez.
3: When <laughs> I... <laughs> Notice none of the males in the room
1: chose Nineveh or Wayne. <laughs> well, I do, <laughs> I don't remember a ton of detail, but I do remember liking Nineveh a lot in later books. And so I assume I'll get there again. Uh, but for now, the person I enjoyed reading about the most is, uh, is... More Uh, when I was training to be a missionary, uh, for for years ago, um, there was a phrase that we were taught. It was drilled into us over and over again. And I hated it at the time. And it was quiet dignity. And I, it just drove me crazy, you know, have quiet dignity. And I I was like, shut up, I'm going to be who I am. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what? No, that's awesome that is something to strive toward. uh, You know, especially not that you have to have that a hundred percent of the time, but it it is a good character trait to have in your tool belt. And she really exhibits that quiet dignity in spades. Uh, So she's, yeah, she is some, somebody that I look up to uh, and that I enjoy reading about. It's very interesting. So since she
3: is your favorite character, my question would be how is that in book one where we don't, Really get a point of view chapter until I think the very very end of the book. Do we get from, one from her yep. from Moraine? Yeah. yeah, we do at the very end. I think it's the last she's paragraph. Even she's eavesdropping yeah. using her little blue. Oh, and so, that's right. So having her be the that you know your favorite character because like with Rand we get you know ninety percent of the book is Rand's perspective, and then we do have several paren chapters, and that kind of covers our. Because we get that inner thought. At t- so I, I'm just curious, as far as with Moraine being your favorite, do you feel like maybe that's coming from previous reads or just based on the eye of the world? No, I think getting, it is. Getting her demeanor from the essentially the boy's or naive's point of view.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it is. Um, I, I think it's just from this reading of it. There's a phenomenon that's been going on for decades now um, that I... Am always very very reluctant to jump in on and that's the tearing down of old heroes uh, and I am going to bring it back to Moraine don't worry but um, but you think about somebody like Christopher Columbus we all grew up learning about him in elementary school and uh, how cool was it that he sailed across the ocean and you know quote-unquote discovered the new world and I mean that turned out to be not crap but a lot more complicated than what you were taught in elementary school but I love those, the story of the heroes. Or you think of somebody like Gandhi or Martin Luther King and we remember them for something really uh, heroic and specific and then you learn more about them and you're like, oh, you were not exactly perfect, were you? There's a lot about you to not exactly admire.
2: we humanize our heroes frequently
1: Well but there's well, there's humanizing And then there's that tendency when we humanize them To realize they weren't perfect And so we must Demonize. deface Fine. them uh, and, and that drives me crazy So there is something that I really like With Moraine not being uh, A point of view character In this book Where she is apart and separate And she's not complicated From our point of view She does the right thing she, you know, maybe she doesn't always make exactly the right choice, but she is really doing the right thing. I love having a hero, somebody to look up to. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, I mean, she definitely is the constant driving force in this adventure. We, I mean, we noted on it earlier that there is no one ring to go destroy. Right. It's basically, we're following Moraine because she says we're all in trouble. And she's the constant driving force of... Okay, well, now we got to get to Whitebridge. Okay, now we got to get to Camelin. Now we got to get to Tarvalin. Right. Um,
0: well, from the very beginning, in, in, uh, it, it, she that, that story that she tells, fantastic writing by Jordan. And, and I, I, the funny thing is, I mean, I know it's all Robert Jordan, but to read how he wrote that story for Moraine, how she's telling the story that drives them all the story of Monethorin. Yeah, all that it, okay. it drives them all on, on this quest, it, it felt like her. You know, I mean, he did such a fantastic job of writing f- her separate characters. Yeah. With, oh, man. Yeah. Individuals. I, I read that and I'm just writing. like, dang, that is just dynamite. Um, last thing I tell you a darn thing about it right now, I'd have to go read it again. But I just remember <laughs> I was in from that moment. So. I,
2: I really love Maureen. The one one thing that I've been trying to balance out through this reading was they spend so much time in this book and almost at the point that it bothers me that everyone hates with until you get into the bigger cities everyone hates the Aes Sedai especially in the two yeah. rivers you can't trust them and that distrust I, I drives me crazy in characters uh, you have to have it to a certain extent but at a certain point the characters have to learn y- You your character needs to figure out I can trust this person or, or whatever and so at a certain point I'm, I get tired of the well I'm not going to be part of the Aes Sedai plot or whatever yeah you are you're not smart enough not to be <laughs> stop yeah <laughs> I hate that and th- the idea that, you know, gets, gets, I guess, shoveled
3: to Rand and, and some of the other characters as well. But like the Aes truth is never the truth that you think it is. Um, mm-hmm. So she might be telling you the straight up truth, but it's not maybe how you are interpreting it. And, right, and that underlying distrust mm-hmm. um, that it. And I don't know if that's tied to the corruption of the dragon as well, because everybody knows that the women's side you know, Sidar is not corrupt. However, they are still Aes Sedai, and there were Aes Sedai that have gone corrupt. So is it is there that underlying idea
1: of, well, if they can be if the, if the men can get screwed over like that. Because nobody wants...
3: understands how the One Power actually works, other than the Aes Sedai themselves. Which and is so... great. We don't need any
2: mini-chlorians in this
3: story. Exactly, enough, For right.
2: heaven's
1: sake. Exactly. Um,
3: but yeah, it, it is interesting, and I, and I agree with Ryan, that the mistrust gets a little old, because it's like, you know, Moraine just saved you 15 different times, and probably, you know, more that you're not even aware of. And so,
2: maybe just shut up and listen to her for a while. Even characters who should know better, like uh, Tom Marilyn, when he's trying to guide Rand and Matt a little bit, you know, he's still like, "We should go to Ilya, Ilyan, Ilion. Yeah. You know, and whatever." You know, it, it it bothers me, and I think the only reason that it actually really bothers me um, isn't necessarily that Moraine is, you know, she's she's a good character. It's the fact that I know she's a good character as a reader. If you if this were written to the point where I'm supposed to be questioning whether or not she's actually good then you miss the mark because I know that her, I know what her purpose is. I've got, figured it out. Right. And these other characters haven't. And I'm just, I'm, I'm irritated waiting for them to catch up and have the light bulb click.
3: And where I think, where I think Jordan does a really good job of complicating that issue and maybe bringing that back towards, yeah, maybe you shouldn't trust her quite as much because there's, there's a definite point in the book after leaving the two rivers that it, that it's like, eh, just shut up and listen to her. She's saving your butt. Um, but bringing that back to maybe opening that distrust, even for Moraine specifically, and not necessarily Aes Sedai as a whole, but Moraine specifically, is where he brings in some of the very same language that Moraine uses towards Rand, talking about, oh, it's your destiny, or there's things like this, you know, that type of language that Rand has heard in his dreams with Baal Zaman. Mm-hmm. And he, he makes a very marked note, um... Rand does in one of his inner dialogues, thinking that sounds too much like what Balsamon was saying in my dream. And it's mm-hmm. coming from from Moraine's lips. So it's it's an interesting uh, switch there because I do definitely gravitate towards the just listen to her. You need to trust her. And then by the by the end of the book, it's like, oh, well maybe maybe not.
1: <laughs> so, yeah.
2: That actually just made me think of something that I've been that I wanted to ask Greg about this in this book specifically. Can, can, and, we, I, can, can, we, can we, and we can revisit it in the future. Did you want to?
1: I, I want to say one more thing on Moraine, uh and then have you ask your question. Okay. Go just ahead. so I can get it out of the way, because I did run into something a little bit funny in my research. Uh, Moraine is, uh, like I said, a, a very dignified character. She comes off as quite regal, which she should because her name is French for "I Queen." Right. And she comes from a Royal house. Does she? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, anyway, I didn't know that. Um, but I, I, if you actually spell it in French, instead of an a in the middle of her name, it would be an E. So I was like, oh, I wonder if he was just going for a more phonetic spelling, uh, or if there's something behind that. So I looked it up and rain R a I N E is actually middle French for frog. So make
3: <laughs> of that what you will. Yeah. Go, well, going back to the Royal house, um, Maureen Damodred, I think, is her name. Mm-hmm. And uh, talking about, is it Kyrian? Is that how they pronounce it in the audio book? Yeah. Actually, um, they
2: pronounce it three different ways. Yeah, because I'm reading
3: her. it, I always pronounced it Kerhine, But <laughs> that's because you read no, something in your mind and then you right. try to say it out loud and you're like, that's not right, but that's what it is now. Um, but they, King, they King Damodred of, of Kyrian, Kyrian. Yeah. that is her house.
2: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so Ryan... Go ahead and ask your question. So this, we've had discussions before in the past, uh, specifically in the Belgariat, about feelings towards the idea of destiny and characters being able to oh. choose versus oh, being forced into this. Definitely one of my bullet yeah. points, and okay. I wanted to know your thoughts on this one because this this one very much has the feel of uh, as these three characters are Tavir and you know, the they talk about how the the wheel will weave around them for a while, but at a certain point the wheel is just going to grab them and say, now, now you are on my path. You're on the path that I'm leading you to exactly the way that I want you to. And I know that that's bothered you in the past, so I wanted to get your take on it.
1: Yeah, it's um, it, it bothers me just in the sense, of, kind of in an ideological way, I am a uh, huge fan of free will, and I don't appreciate the idea of somebody trying to convince me or even convince themselves that nothing we do is our own choice, that our destiny is set and we can't do anything to get away from that. So, yeah, it is something that, uh, that I wonder about a little bit, this wheel. What is it? Is it actually making them do something? There's a point in the book when... Uh, I think it's Loyal, he's talking about the idea of Tavirin, and he says, well, you know, everybody else, just the wheel weaves them into the pattern, and, and you know, they, it sounds like they don't have any free will, but Tavirin, they get to go their own way and do their own thing, and the pattern weaves itself around them. And then uh, later on in the book, I think it's Moraine says something about how Uh, All that is true, except that the wheel actually holds tighter to Tavirin and they have less say in how their lives go. So I don't know based on just on this book how this is going to go down, but I'm very nervous about it. My my uh, sensors are going crazy and Mm -hmm. I'm going to be paying very close attention in future books to this idea of of free will and Tavirin and, and how they are able to navigate through the world.
2: See I read that it's slightly different from what you just described there that the average man can do whatever he wants and the wheel will just weave him into the pattern based on what he does whatever but to veer and have to be focal points and so it has that tighter grip on the on their movement and what they're allowed to do and where for me cuz I have I have similar sentiments in terms of the idea of destiny and being and and free agency and being able to control your own your own destiny I tend to think of it a little more of that they are being directed and and driven to events this is like with the belgariad why i didn't have a problem with it they're being driven to an event where they will be able to exercise agency but the the thing is that their path there has to be they have to get to that point else everything unravels and that's how i that's how i do it it's a little i guess
1: i guess i kind of have a problem with that um in that if it's let's say it's the wheel in this book or you know in life we might talk about god or the universe or karma or whatever is uh, pushing us toward this certain event that we must get to you must get here so that you can make your choice Uh, well why why does it have to be that way why is it that uh, suddenly at a certain point the wheel uh, or Jesus is going to take his hands off the wheel, mm-hmm. uh, as they might say. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> thanks, and um, you know, and, and then you're left to your own devices. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Either you are free to make your own choices, or you are not. And it it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that um, that some all powerful being or force would. You know, make you get to a certain point, and then say, oh, "Okay, now make a choice."
2: I might. Okay, you, everyone, please forgive, forgive for the, delaying into this tangent a little further. The only I, I'm, I'm gonna argue this one a little bit using uh, modern Christianity a understanding of of New Testament with Jesus actually, uh, his arrival to um, the garden and to Golgotha. Those being the major events of the, his life culminated to like, he had to get to those points sure. based on Christian doctrine there so if it's one of those things like the whole thing pushed to that moment to be able to make the decision about whether or not he's going to do those things right I'm yeah
1: I, I'm not saying that it's not legit <laughs> I'm not saying that it's not Craig
3: just doesn't want anybody telling him what to do. It get, I do what I want. Get up off I'm 18, my back. I do what
1: I want. <laughs> Can I just be kiki? Uh, that's an obscure reference. That,
0: by the way, that reminded me of the the fact that uh, they stated the dancing Cartman.
1: Oh, nice. <laughs> Racked me up. <laughs> um, I so I don't have. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that per se. It just makes me really uncomfortable, and it doesn't make sense now just because it doesn't make sense to me doesn't mean it's not like, doesn't mean I'm going to reject it out of hand, mm-hmm. you know? And so
2: I don't think it'll de- And I don't think it will be a detriment to the story as a whole that much. If, right. if it does turn out to be the too bad. It, it, the, the biggest issue I have with, with that whole concept is that it really makes it. Um, it's like when you, when you're doing a prequel movie or something of a character that you know is in the next movie, there's no sense of danger there's nothing they're going to get to this point right There's nothing you're concerned about because you know the end, and so that's what bother that's the only thing that bothers me about the concept of they're being driven to this point. the wheel's going to protect them. The real question is who are they going to be when they get there, and that might be the story that's worth I, I think this
3: good. would be a really interesting thing to bring back up after a memory of light um Is that the
1: final book? Yes, okay
3: um I think we should definitely bring it back up and discuss this topic with the entire story in mind <laughs> simply I don't want I, I don't want any spoilers or anything like that um, however so January of 2018 so next <laughs> year <laughs> come back and you'll find your answer uh, not necessarily an answer but I think it would definitely lend
1: to this discussion mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay um, so can I talk about the wheel for a minute um, mm-hmm. as long as we're talking about the wheel forcing things on people uh, I want to get into just stuff that you loved from the book. I, I want to get to criticisms in a little while. But right now, things you loved from the book. So be thinking about that. One of mine, I've got two, but one of mine is um, the wheel weaves as the wheel wills. Uh, not the phrase. I don't have a problem with the phrase. Whiskey. <laughs> Whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, it, it bothered me because weaving is done on a loom. Not a wheel. the wheel. There's no wheel involved with weaving. What is this nonsense? And it was really annoying me. And so I went and did a little research. Uh, and I just, I love learning crap, even though it makes me feel dumb for not knowing it before. But there is a thing called wheel weaving, where you use, like, I guess they used to do it on wagon wheels, um, but... You stretch out all these spokes on a wagon wheel and then you weave between those spokes. Uh, And so it creates this kind of circular pattern, which actually makes a lot more sense when they start talking about like the web that the wheel weaves and this uh, kind of Mm -hmm. uh, concentric circles and all that stuff. Um, But that being said, I was kind of happy when in chapter 42, Moiraine uh, asks what hand now sets the warp and what hand controls the shuttle. I was like, finally! Finally! Somebody got somebody got it right. That's how looms work anyway so uh things that you enjoyed from having read this book could be plot points or could be
2: stupid little things like that um a character we haven't talked about yet that I really enjoy the character and the type of character that uh he is his I'll call it his classification for the Dungeons and dragons nerds out there uh Tom Marilyn, the Gleeman, yeah he uh, would be the, the bard the bard. Oh,
1: oh, I was thinking like um uh like he'd be a, a lawful or a neutral so what how do you do that in Dungeons and Dragons? He'd He's probably like be a, a lawful neutral. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> bard.
0: I'm not good enough with
1: that. He might be true neutral. He might be. Yeah, anyway. But Yeah, he doesn't yeah. Right. Um I Can re- you tell I've played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love storytellers in stories. Um because uh, sometimes authors use them as a chance to slip their own voice in there a little more. Um, I don't feel that's the case with Tom Marilyn. I don't feel that Robert Jordan's like, here's my chance to tell you what I really <laughs> think. Um, but his character is the balance piece that was missing from the uh, Dungeons and Dragons excursion, the bard because we had the farm boys, we had the magician, we had the warrior. Um, we needed someone to balance out the other side of Moraine and land and you get that in Tom, Marilyn, and Nynaeve to a certain extent with her, when she shows up and has her hesitations with and anger, yeah. these boys being taken away. But Wait, I Nynaeve gets angry? <laughs> That's weird. What? It's one of the four emotions she shows. Um, I do like Nynaeve a lot, but in this first book, she shows like four emotions. The if whole that. Time, if Only, that. I was going
3: to say four? Wow. Yeah. Anger, anger, anger. And it's
2: variations anger, of anger, and, and annoyed, irritation, <laughs> anger, and annoyance, irritation, surly anger, and moonstruck and love bitterness, interest. Yeah. Um, but I, I really enjoyed him, and he gives the boys. One of the things that gets really difficult is when you send untrained characters out on their own, like when Rand and Matt get separated after Shadar Logoth. I'm, I'm always like, so how in the world are these guys supposed to survive on their own? And the fact that Tom Maryland has given them a, a trade, essentially, yeah, to yeah. to go, I appreciated. I appreciated that little piece right there that made me go, I get how they can get to Camelot, how they can get there because there's it makes sense. There's a way. For, there's an economics to it here. There's something that's happening that's getting them there. That was and a great little tool. And, and it's book.
1: not just because the author needed them to get there. And with that, but,
2: I, I love that they are still
3: afraid to touch the harp because Mm -hmm. tom like berates them and like (laughs) the harp is not meant for your you know fat sheep her fingers (laughs) fingers or whatever yeah and like even though he's dead um they still are just like nope don't do it
1: (laughs) uh for those of you listening he he did the little bunny ears the air quotes somewhere uh others other favorite things
0: i like the flame in the void
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good one.
0: I loved that concept right from the very start. I'm like, "Ooh, that has so many great applications." Where you take all of the, all of the external stuff and you burn it away, so that all you have is the focus of doing whatever you you have to do. I I equated it. I was reading this during the World Series.
1: Um, <gasps> Are we about to do the same thing, for the love of the game?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Clear the mechanism. Clear the mechanism. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Ken. That
0: is exactly what it nice. is.
1: Nice. I, this never happens, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Ken and Craig on the same page, right there.
0: Synergy, baseball, bringing people together. But it, that, I, the moment that uh, Tam was telling Rand about it, I just thought that is that sports. That is absolutely sports. And well, and it's not just sports. It's uh, theater. You know, everything. You you clear away all the stuff that doesn't matter. <laughs> what? Sorry.
1: Sports, theater. It helps helps in
2: theater if you have a little flame going in you. Uh, (laughs) I I don't know what that means. I see what you did there. Um. (laughs) Uh, The 90 degree Nazi salute, my friend. (laughs) 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 Oh, my gosh.
1: So, anyway. I'm making an
2: intelligent point for a change.
0: Really, no, I don't know more or less. But anyway, you burn away the external stuff, and you only you focus on what matters, and and all of a sudden you're driven, you're focused, and it improves your performance, your
2: ability to do yeah. to do different things. Oh, yeah. I
0: love I love that concept. Good call. This
2: this again, I, you're going to learn a lot about me as a about a 16 year old kid or so, because <laughs> that's about when I read this the first time. This I I took this. Oh, was this it concept. that long ago? It was. Uh, we weren't. I don't think we were driving yet. Nice. Yeah, okay. Was, but um, but we were still cool. we were cool. I had pens up my sleeve that I chucked in cars. <laughs> um, but I used this this was a concept that I would use um, when i whenever I needed to kind of calm down or not cry um, things like, like right <laughs> now <laughs> kind of sounds like that's right now it's kind of to do that um, and it really it's it, I think it's a very. Uh, a good focusing mechanism. And it's something that you, you know, you want to take something out of a book into your life and actually apply it. Not a bad thing to take and use. It it works. It works as a, as a focusing mechanism. So
1: I like it. I do it all the time. You're up.
3: Uh, One of my favorite things we've already kind of touched on it a little bit is just the allegory that exists throughout this first book, but throughout the entire series and just what, Robert Jordan has connected things to the real world or what the bigger meanings of, of this fantasy story has. We talk about time and, and uh, how that like destiny and things like that. And I, I really love the way that he ties in a lot of different real world cultural beliefs and just just cult- culture in general and throws that into the mix. Um one of the biggest things is the Heron Mark blade as and the katana. I mean, it is it's straight up a katana and the way that he describes sword mastery and and what they have to do to become sword masters and there hasn't been a lot of description of the way that they fight. Yet in this book. There's a little bit towards the end or when Lan is kind of teaching the boys how to use their individual weapons. But the way that Robert Jordan describes um combat and and particularly Lan's use of his Heron Mark blade and how it's super graceful, more like a dance than it is just hacking and, and the way that you would think you would use a sword. Um, That there's definitely an art form to it. And I think that the way that he describes those in the different sword forms and the names that he uses gives you a really clear picture of how graceful and how dedicated and masterful you would have to be to be a heron marked swordsman. Um, And I love that there's like like this shock and awe through the whole... Um, through the whole world of, oh, this guy's got a heron mark blade. This means that he is just, you know, awesome or super dangerous and that Rand is fumbling with that. Uh, land mentions, it, it, you know, it belongs to you. It looks like it, it looks like it belongs to you. You carry it well, but Rand has no idea what he's doing with the sword.
1: Um, pointy end goes in the point, other man, yeah, pointy
3: end goes in the other man, but, just watched that the, the other day. The ripple effect that it has and that he actually has to cover it up when he's in Camelin. Um because yeah. the Heron Mark is so prestigious and just awesome. I,
1: yeah, I like that a lot. I'm
2: I will probably buy a Heron Mark blade replica <laughs> before we finish with this. I'm not even joking, like remotely. Um Heron Mark tattoos all around. Let's do it. <laughs>
1: please no Uh, I'll watch (laughs) no never mind that was an awful joke everybody Um, we've got a few minutes before we finish up uh, this episode I'm halfway tempted to do another one I know we said two episodes on Eye of the World but we'll see we'll talk about that Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about criticisms of this book uh, because as much praise as we want to heap on it and Robert Jordan it's not perfect uh and i'm curious to hear if there's anything that you guys ran into that you thought uh ah, you know i wish he wouldn't have done that or he could have done that better um i and i'm happy to start on this um the i've, I've got a few let me think of which one. Oh, the lack of foreshadowing for this book was driving me a little bit crazy. Uh, not not even foreshadowing per se, but just setting up what the story is and why we care. So we've already talked about how this is a character-driven novel, uh, and I get that. But that can only go so far, and you know, at a certain point it did annoy me that I didn't know what the main motivation of the story is. So there's a part when they come to the Blight, they make their way through the Blight, and they find the Green Man, and there's been like one mention of him in passing somewhere but uh then we we meet him and uh, i think it's rand is thinking well the green man was the green man was a legend of course and blah 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 and there were all these stories about him and i'm thinking well how come we didn't hear any <laughs> stories until now wait this it would have been more effective to give us something anything or for heaven's sake, the Eye of the World. That's the title of the book. And even though the words are brought up, we don't know anything about the Eye of the World. We know nothing until, essentially, until we're there. Um, There's, I think it might be in Camelin, or it might be when they're traveling in the ways, when Moraine finally says something like, um, uh, the Eye of the World is the essence of Sidene. And that's how we're going to keep the Dark One in prison. Okay, great. That doesn't belong when at three quarters of the way through the book. I needed to know that a long time ago. Even if you don't tell me the exact nature of it, you don't need to tell me everything about it and its history, but give me something uh, that we're working toward. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that that drove me yeah. just a little bit uh, crazy. I wish that he would have given me more, uh, but I, I. So I understand that he's setting up future books, and that's what he was most concerned with. But I think I would have appreciated this being a little more cohesive as a single book by itself.
2: Yeah, the point is a whole. I agree with the one about the eye of the world. I'm okay with actually. Because getting to the eye of the world was not their goal until three quarters of the way through the book anyway
1: <laughs> and I mean yeah. i I would say my point still stands and that and that kind of makes my point a little bit
2: uh, for me i I would also be I would be curious to say, okay, well, if you've known that this is the essence of siding or siding, yeah, yeah, the whole time i I don't know there there seems like a lot of unanswered questions uh regarding. If you've known where the power's essence sits, you probably should have been a little more proactive. Proactive right. in this, <laughs> right? I don't know. Yeah. But uh, criticisms for the book, uh, I don't have a ton. Not because it's perfect, but because it worked really well as, as just as a storytelling mechanism. If anything, um, it could be trimmed most epic fantasy can be trimmed. There's superfluous informa- information in many parts. Yeah. yeah. As far as we know. As far as, well, yeah, I, that's true. It could they be they that end the... up bringing back the, this tree that you saw in the garden over here right. that he described to a great extent. Turns out to be the you know, the wood which is used to carve the handle of the sword which will defeat the dark one.
1: <laughs> I kept thinking of, like, Master Gil's cats. And I was like, oh, yeah, one day those cats are going to come back and they're going to turn the tide of battle. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I like I said, all, all epic fantasy has stuff like that it, it can be trimmed but it's part of the nature of epic fantasy to have the overload of information about yeah. the world around you but I don't know I didn't have a lot of writing criticism for him uh, anybody else I'm
0: trying to think I mine were uh, a lot like yours I didn't feel e- even though they explained you know oh I'm gonna you know you're, you're gonna be you know my little puppet and we're gonna destroy the world and no, all that I didn't feel the gravity of the situation much for the same reason that you that you pointed out. It just I
1: Yeah. 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 Kyle, do you have anything?
3: No, I I mean I'll add to your point of the Eye of the World um, not really knowing about it. I think it it could have been really easily shoehorned in there when Tom Marilyn's talking about all these other ancient stories <coughs> and just giving mm-hmm. us a quick paragraph of the story of the Eye of the World and the essence of Sidene and, you know, whatever, you know, just a quick Snippet would have probably been enough, correct me if I'm wrong, to maybe satisfy that, like, what the heck is the eye of the world? Anything. And so, and I mean, it is laced throughout in the dream sequences with Baal and he always, he's telling Rand and the other boys, as the other boys are having those dreams as well, the eye of the world will not I'm serve sure. you. The eye of the world will not serve you. But you still don't know what the eye of the world is. And so I do agree with you, Craig, on that, that it could have been probably pretty easily taken care of um, and even as much as of a paragraph from Tom or even Moraine or or something. Or Balzaman for that matter. Or Balzaman for that that
2: matter. Let me ask you this based on the response. Do you honestly think that Rand, Matt, Perrin, any of those people, if they knew what the Eye of the World was, would have gone to it?
3: Mm, yeah, I
2: mean that's a that's a that's a fair point because when they get there and find out what it is, they're like,
3: mm,
1: I'm out, I'm out, I'm yeah, gone. yeah, and, and that's, that's and
3: that's a fair point as well. That's a um, fairish point.
1: But as far as you know, to Craig's <laughs> fair-, well, fair point, fair point, That's a fairish
3: point. <laughs> <laughs> to Craig's point of making this a singular, like, novel where there's a like a start and finish to the story, I think in Rand's perspective. There is. He believes that in the end that he's actually killed Shaitan. Um, but from a reader's standpoint, it you don't have that sense of finality um, at the end of the book. There's definitely a sense of, ooh, I got to get to the next one because I got to figure out what's going on. Um, but it doesn't hold its own as its own novel. Now, that being said, having read through the series several times, I think that the eye of the world is one of the most masterfully written books that I've ever read Um, simply for the amount of foreshadowing for the rest of the series. Some things come and you know, like you, you kind of made that joke about master gills cats or like the tree that's in the garden that he spends a lot of detail on, but there are so many just tiny um, details that we get in the eye of the world that don't come into play until 10, 11, book 12, something like that. And then they have this huge payoff and going back and rereading the series is really the only way that you're going to pick that up. So maybe my one criticism and it's, I guess it's a criticism is that it's not meant to be read once. Um, it's definitely meant to be read multiple times in order to get that layer. And that probably is more of a compliment than a criticism. But for the reader who's coming to it brand new and maybe doesn't want to devote one, you know, 14 books worth of series just to get through the first right. story or much brain power, or much brain power. You really I mean, this is definitely more of a thinking man's epic fantasy, which mo- mm. a lot of epic fantasy probably is that way. Right. But this is just a rung below I think Tolkien's work as far as the depth and thought that you have to put into it to really get
1: start appreciating it. Yeah. You know, um as you were talking, uh, the thought occurred to me, you know who this uh who Robert Jordan as an author reminds me of is Patrick Rothfuss. Um yeah, have we all read No, just me mm-hmm. and Ryan. I have. Yeah. You have, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you read the first uh, name of the wind, uh, the first of his Kingkiller Chronicle books, um, it is. It's really well written. Has great characters, wonderful settings, um, great scenes. But darn if I can remember the you know the the point uh, you might say if you're reading uh you know if you're watching star wars you know the point is to blow up the death star you destroy the one ring i i don't remember the point of that book but i sure do remember enjoying the heck out of it
2: it's yeah
1: you know do you know what i mean uh, but there's all this setup going on and well, wonderful part of character work
2: i think part of it's because it's that story's being it's one of those where the the character is telling the story again you're right. rather than take going on the journey with them you're having a story told but yeah and he's a infuriating man to follow on twitter oh i don't (laughs)
1: even want to talk Uh, i hate patrick rothfuss okay i got it out there
2: (laughs) (laughs) love his books though so far if only we could get him to sit down and write another one (laughs) uh
1: anyway patrick rr rothfuss (laughs) <laughs> um the the other thing that i would say this this is a mild criticism it really isn't that big a deal but it is something that i would um throw out to people who are thinking about writing their own books the uh the trend which i don't know if it was started with uh robert jordan but he certainly turned it up to 11 is the limited third person narrative um where it is third person, but it's all... You talk about having Rand chapters or paren chapters. It's from their perspective. And generally speaking, if it doesn't happen to that person, if they don't see it, if they don't hear it, if they don't think it, you don't read it. Uh, so that's your limited third person. Um, if you're going to do that, and I would suggest that you do, um, unless you're like a serious master of the first person, like Patrick Rothfuss or something... Uh, but if you are going to do it, stick to it. There are some points where Robert Jordan really uh, kind of muffed that a little bit. And there are some shifts in perspective without any sort of hard paragraph break or without going to the next chapter. And it makes it a little bit tough to follow, you know, wait a minute, because so much of it is very well done, limited third person narrative when he does make those um imperfect transitions, it makes it really jarring. I remember uh, really at the very beginning of the book when um, Rand is watching over Tam who has the fever and then suddenly you switch to, uh, gosh, it's one of those one syllable ad names again, Uh, the innkeeper. Bran. Brand. You switch to Brand's perspective for one paragraph, and then you go back to Rand, and it's really jarring. Anyway, so watch out for that. If you are writing your own book uh, and you're adopting this style, again, which I think you should, just watch out for that. It's a little confusing. Um, anything else we want to bring up? We, we are, like, at the hour mark again.
2: Um, it's dangerous ground, but we should... We have talked about just about every other character. I think it is worthwhile... To talk about Nynaeve and Egwene just even briefly Mm, yeah Um, it's it's the perspective that no one here at this table has (laughs) the female perspective
1: Uh, and and that Robert Jordan didn't have
2: yeah and Jordan gets criticism for his writing of women and I would actually love to hear some different responses from people as to their thoughts on this uh, because I don't feel like they're weak character I don't feel like they're weak women or weak characters um, but I don't feel that they're exceptionally strong yet.
1: That I was going to say the exact same thing. Yet yeah, there, there's an, you nobody can tell from the, the two rivers it. is except maybe Perrin.
2: Yeah, and even his power, even his strength, is a different. It's a it's a focus and an uh, an intensity. An intensity. That's what yeah. it is.
0: I would say Nynaeve is a strong
2: character, just not explored yet. Not. But it's it's the balance well between saying. A woman who yells and is frustrated and gets her way isn't necessarily a powerful character, right? And she is that sometimes, but isn't all of the time. I think there's a lot more to her, and I appreciate that there is that there. And but but I I understand the the criticism slightly there that you have either the maiden in the tower on the way, you know, with them or the. Whining, angry, bitter woman, and I—they right. have their moments where they fit that really well, and i and, and I kind of got concerned about it. But for the most part, they—he's done a really good job of laying the seed of these are going to be very powerful women playing in a very powerful game going forward. So.
3: Yeah, and I think yeah. that there's a, there's this has always really bothered me, um, whether in this book series or watching TV series or whatever, the idea of the strong female character and that most people and most of, the, you know, these writers are probably men that are trying to think that the strong female character means that she's loud and abrasive and in your face. And, Oh, mm-hmm. she and, does that and kicks as much as, yeah. as the man. This means yeah. that she's a strong character, which is totally not right. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, And in fact, it's very off-putting because it's like you're throwing this supposed strong female character, but you're really just kind of making her, you know, making her easy to dislike. Um, And I think that the best example of a strong female character in this book is Moraine. Um, I know we've talked a whole lot about Moraine, but I think she is... The goal for Egwene, like Egwene looks at Moraine and she wants to be Aes Sedai. She wants to compose. like,
1: And that's uh, all she knows of Aes, Aes Sedai. So when she says, I she want knows. to be an Aes Sedai, it, I want to be Moraine. And it's an
3: interesting shift yeah. for Egwene because until Moraine showed up, it was all about being naive. She wanted to be Wisdom. She was training to be Wisdom. That's what she wants to do. Egwene is super ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was like, oh, now here's Moraine. She's a wisdom, but better, um, <laughs> and like this is what I want to do now. And and I think that that's super admirable. I don't love Egwene; she's one of my least favorite characters throughout the series. She does really awesome things at certain points, um, but I really dislike that she is the whiny teenage girl in this series and. She's very uppity, um, and I think that that's a detriment to her character. And maybe it's just because I don't relate to her. But in this this book, particularly, she's painted as the whiny teenager kind of, yeah. mm-hmm. and then more. And then Nynaeve is more of
1: just the angry, angry young adult, <laughs> young adult, or whatever you you know, whatever you want to call it. But angry she's, millennial.
3: She's the she's the woman that everybody's afraid of, um, which people think oh it's a strong character and not to say that Nynaeve not strong or not going to be strong I don't think that those are the attributes that we should focus on when we look at a strong female character
2: force yeah force of will is not necessarily the measurement of power in a human being I ask the same thing of for female characters as I do for male if they're a powerful character I want them to be I want them to have a good firm knowledge of themselves and an acceptance of their own identity and an ownership of that in in their decision making and in going forward that's what to me a powerful character has is is that rock of principle and and things and so that that can be a character that is not a fighter is not anything you know not not a lover either um, they're just a character who knows who they who they are and they stand for it to the point of sacrifice to the point of i'm staying behind for this whatever it is That is a powerful person to me is is that knowledge of of I know who I am and that's what I'm going to and I'm going to be that.
1: You know what I noticed um, with these the way Jordan wrote wrote these, especially these two female characters, it made me think uh, maybe he doesn't have a great handle on how to write from a woman's perspective is he's going to use shortcuts. Uh, I don't remember a whole lot of detail from future books. As I've already established, but one thing I do remember very clearly is I am going to get very annoyed at how many times Robert Jordan tells me that Nynaeve tugs her braid, and how many times Egwene folds her arms under her breasts. Those phrase, those (laughs) phrases, all the time. He uses them once or twice in this book, but I know it's going to come up all the time. And so I wonder if it's just he, you know. They need to show they, that she's angsty right now. They so. don't know. You're you're talking about like they need to know themselves. Well, gosh, the author's going to need to know them as well. And I wonder if uh, if he didn't have quite as uh, a good as good a handle on his female characters, and so he used those shortcuts more than he would have yeah. or did for the men. And, and, and we'll yeah. we'll find out. And
2: it, it's also okay for them to be. They don't have to be strong from the get go. They don't right. have to be like yeah. We can follow that journey and and. And see the growth, and, and and the author can discover that along the way too. I would highly recommend having an end in mind when you do that. But <laughs> I'm just saying it, it is possible there. Um, and I don't know. We'll see that. that I, I feel like we're set up well to get that a little more so and get that change. But again, it's it's one of the frustrations of trying, especially now in this day and age, to write from another. <laughs> Right from the other gender's perspective is dangerous yeah. ground. Sometimes yeah. <laughs> it's it's difficult, but if you can pull it off. And going
3: and going back to uh, shortcuts, um, and talking about Nynaeve specifically, and I and Robert Jordan's writing style, I think that he, I mean, I don't want to accuse, but somewhat pandering to, you know, the female audience, Nynaeve's character and her relationship with Lan is one of my probably my biggest criticisms. Now that we're talking. About criticism and and actual actually talking about Nynaeve, her relationship with Rand seems so contrived and forced, Rand or, Lan? or not Rand Lan, okay. excuse me, Lan. Yeah, it goes back to Rand, Rand, Rand Lan, Brand, Tam, <laughs> Sam, I am. You know, <laughs> Green all eggs those and Ham, Nynaeve and Lan. Let's uh, let's put that down there. I feel like it's super forced. Um, yeah, there's it's like all of a sudden she was able to sneak up on Lan and Moraine after they get separated, um, crossing the river. And after, after shadow look off, she's able to sneak up on him. And then all of a sudden he like falls desperately in love with her, even though from Lan's body language or whatever, you wouldn't see that. But there's like this totally off screen love story going on that gets mentioned a few times that I'm not buying whatsoever because, because of the personality of Nynaeve and the personality of Lan, they do not work. And that's not to say that that's not possible, but Lan barely speaks five words in the entire book. You are needed. And (laughs) and most of
1: those words are sheep herder. Yes. (laughs) And I feel
3: like that might be Robert Jordan. Oh, well, I've got all the guy nerds in on this. I need some romance. I need some romance so that the women don't, put this book down because women like women like romance and and i think that i feel like that's pandering towards the opposite gender a little bit Um, or toward the stereotype or towards the stereotype of it and take it or leave it you know i just but i do feel like that was super forced and i
2: don't i'm not buying it i i would tell you no surprise here. I, I really enjoy actually the romance inside of fantasy novels frequently. I get the I get stupid grins when I read through great lines that are written. A uh, great discussion there with Lan and Nynaeve. I really like their relationship because they're a good fit, but I have the same feeling of like, wait, where did this come from? Why are mm-hmm. you Yeah. Out of the blue for You're, sure. And, and, Why and, and do it we comes care? a little bit from that third like we haven't had a Nynaeve perspective or have, a land one and they have uh, yeah and we haven't they've been very very clear about not letting anyone else see that there's mm-hmm. something there so unless that's going to get fleshed out some more if we're not, unless we're going to see that story and understand where that started a little bit more I just don't I, I'm on the same I don't feel like the first woman whoever was able to sneak up on me without me hearing she's <laughs> so hot I must marry this woman
3: and, and, and I, I'm with you on that because I feel like just give me a starting point. Like why do they actually like each other? I can buy that they like each other. And I even buy that. We don't hear a lot about it because they're both very private people. Nynaeve does not want anybody around her to know what she truly feels or what she truly thinks. Um, she always gets embarrassed or, or very, um, defensive. If somebody thinks that she's embarrassed or thinks that she's afraid or whatever, she's a very personal Person. She doesn't want people in on her Miss, emotions.
1: Miss Almira, tear down that wall. Yes, exactly.
3: And then Lan, who is just a rock and doesn't do anything and emotes <laughs> yeah. nothing at all. Right. I get that we wouldn't see that, but like Ryan said, give me, like, give me something. Give me something on, on why this is even in here at all.
2: Let me, yeah. And I got to see some change in Lan. That stoic thing works great as a warder but if he's going to be in love with her i need to see something i need to see something in him that's that moment where he has to choose between swinging and cutting the trollic in front of moraine or the one in front of you know Nynaeve and he's torn by that briefly and something i'm not asking for much All Right. Yeah. um should we do some
1: final thoughts wrap this bad boy up uh, let's start with Ken. Yeah, I haven't heard from you for a while. So, do you have some final thoughts? Anything you want to say about the Eye of the World, or should I just stab you now?
2: <laughs> what are you talking about? We had our oh, that's we right. We had a moment. moment. That's right. right. We had our moment. We're growing. This is a stab-free zone for another few weeks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I my final point. I oh, mean, I'm, and and let me ask you this: make your final point, and then make your predictions. Oh, I haven't seen any it. any predictions at all? But make your make your point. I'd have to go
0: through the book and okay, I'll, I'll think of a couple. Anyway, my uh, most of my points, I, I, I said my my uh, final thought would be just read the book and then go back and read it again. It's you know like you're gonna need to do. like so. I'm gonna need to do because <laughs> I mean I you want me to make predictions? I, I got to go back and reread what I read. I got to read what I read.
2: <laughs> or, or comprehension on the first level has, I, hasn't occurred yet. <laughs> I have to
0: learn what I learned. <laughs> Before I can make
1: predictions, I, I will say, um,
2: get, yeah. yeah, I, I would say you're going to
1: need Ken, uh, just knowing you the way that I know you, once you start saying blood and ashes under your breath then you will be immersed in this world. Right. We've, we've read a bunch of or Brandon pen, Sanderson pens stuff. pens up your sleeve and you throwing go. them at cars. But <laughs> I, I remember as we were reading the Stormlight Archive, it you, st- you started... Storm at everything. Yeah, you were yeah. storming and storm it and storming everything. Yep, and rust uh,
0: and ruin when we were reading Wax and Wayne. And, yeah. So
1: when you get to that point, then you'll... Then you'll know I'm
0: in. <laughs> exactly. I'm Yeah, I'm getting there. I, at least I'm in enough that I'm I'm ready to finish the series, though.
1: I'll make three quick final thoughts. These are just like quickfire little things. Uh, Monetherin. I heard it said a lot on the audiobook, and then I actually got the book in front of me and I was reading it. And when I looked at it, it looks like a weird singular version of Brethren.
3: Manetherin.
1: Manetherin. Yeah. Okay. Manetherin. (laughs) Pot on Fane. Uh, Um, it may be that the Dark One, in doing what he did to Fane, impressed some part of himself on the man. So Fane is the One Ring or a Horcrux or something like that. Uh, and then... Oh, there was a great line. Moonlight filtering through bare branches gave only enough illumination to fool his eyes. This is when, uh, Rand is hauling Tam through the woods in the middle of the night. And, uh, there's... I love that line, um... Partly just because, have you guys ever walked through, like, the woods at night? Mm -hmm. Not in the city. Not anywhere close to a city. Mm -hmm. It is just blacker than black. It's amazing how dark it is. Anyway, and I I just loved having a great line that takes me back to that uh, feeling of walking through the woods. You know, I do have a prediction, though. Something that I don't remember from the books, but I wonder about. Uh, Bayar... Bornhold's uh, right-hand man guy, Children of the Light, Child buyer yeah. Child Bayar. Okay. He's the one that like really hates Perrin. It yeah. seems like he's got it out for Perrin. Oh
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, Gives him the
1: rock to cut a, cut himself loose or whatever. So yeah. he can have an
2: excuse to kill him when he runs. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I as I was reading Bayar, I was forcibly reminded of Dlolf from mm Hmm. Um. And I, I know Bayara was written first. I'm just, I read Diloph first. I, I read Elantris first. So he reminded me of Diloph. And when I realized that, Bornhald actually reminds me a lot of Wraithan from Elantris. And so my prediction, or at least the thing that I'll be looking for, is to see if Bornhald goes through kind of a, a similar spiritual journey to what Wraithan did in uh, Elantris. If, uh, if he'll have some kind of crisis of faith or a spiritual awakening of some kind. Anyway, I'm going to be watching for that. So other
2: final thoughts, Ryan, go ahead. Um, final thoughts with this story. Anytime you talk about, you set a prophecy it happens frequently in Epic fantasy. You set a prophecy. You now have a checklist. And the one thing I've appreciated about this checklist is we have no idea what's on the checklist. <laughs> it, okay. it, it keeps it open for you. There's a handful of things every time that, you know, it, as we get going on, I'm sure we'll have things that are oh yes, in, in this version of the dragon story, it talks about this. And so now we've got this quest to go on. And so uh, I appreciate that we're I know we're gonna have a nice variety of things for him to do. It's not gonna be mm-hmm. a it's not gonna be a stop A B C and then go face the dark one deal. Um so I, I'm, I look forward to those other quests, which leads me to my, my prediction. Um, I, like I said, I, I remember a good portion of the next few books, or at least key plot points that makes it difficult to predict things regarding the dragon. Um, but in the end, I, I feel like there's going to be some part of the prophecy that's been either misinterpreted or they're not able to complete, or something's there. That's going to make them question whether or not they can fulfill their end of the
1: okay the deal. S- things have to go wrong before they can go right. Yeah, yeah. When you talk about uh, different versions of the story of the dragon, it made me wonder if, like in Book Eleven, uh, the dragon and Pete are gonna blaze one up, <laughs> like in the song. <laughs> uh, Kyle, final thoughts. Uh, final thought. We actually talked about it several,
3: well, maybe two weeks ago or so, you and I, about. I have the world is essentially the prologue for the Wheel of Time. It's one giant prologue,
1: um, because, like you said, which you don't, is funny because then he went and wrote a prequel to yes, the Gathering exactly. Dawn, or something like yeah.
3: that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it. I love how it sets everything up, and there's so many payoffs throughout the series that originate in this book um, that makes me feel like. Like I said, I feel like it's one of the best written books that I've read for the sheer forethought of what he had to do to make this whole story, like, cohesive. Mm-hmm. Um, and kudos to Brandon Sanderson in the end for coming in and, and finishing it off. But uh, Spoiler
1: alert. <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: What? The, the main guy dies. And by the main guy, we mean the actual author. <laughs> 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 um, How did that happen? But yeah, like I said, I, I feel like it sets things up so perfectly. Um, I won't make any predictions because I've read it through several times. That's probably good so call that's, that. You know, um, one thing that I really love about this whole story is second and third tier characters, which is it's it's kind of a a very sensitive subject because some people think that there's too many characters and it gets off onto these too many tangents, but I love Tamal Thor. I love like uh, Ken was saying, I love Lan and I love, um, Elias and they don't play as huge of a role as the three boys or Nynaeve or Egwene and like our core main characters, but it just, En- enrichens is that a word en- enrichens yeah enrichens. Let's, let's pretend <laughs> let's pretend that's a word enriches would enriches mean, yeah. the entire world and having like the idea of the, that elias is bringing back this wolf brother thing and so just kind of final thoughts of different things that round out this world that really have nothing to do with the power or the dark one or whatever it's or just, the
1: the immediate story or at the hand. immediate story yeah. at hand
3: um but yeah
1: all right. Well, we are going to read 13 more freaking books uh, and podcast on those. Now, if so, we decided to do this one and and uh, we set a date for when we were going to record the first Eye of the World podcast. And so we had about a month to read the first book and i know you and i ryan just tore through that thing like a hot knife through butter yep and so i'm wondering because we have allotted 14 months to read 14 books i'm wondering if we can trim that down at all uh and uh, make our way through these any faster we'll see uh but we will appreciate uh, everybody who listens in if you will Help us out as we go through these 14 books. Uh, help out the podcast. Uh, I mentioned it on the last episode, patreon.com legendarium. We really need your help there. Uh, but besides that, uh, hop on to Facebook and Twitter. Interact with us. Let us know what your thoughts are. Uh, hop on Reddit. Share our uh, our episodes on Reddit. We would really appreciate that. Just so we can get a good conversation going, uh, we would love to have a, a little bit of a helpful community working with us through these books. Give uh,
2: us some topics you'd like us to discuss that try and avoid, you know, don't be spoilery. Yeah, you can avoid but, but as we come into the next books, you know, say, hey, uh, you know, we've got the Horn of Valir we're going to be dealing with in in uh, The Great Hunt. So I want to make sure you guys talk about that. Let us know. It helps us to make points and, and, and think about what we're going to say <laughs> and
1: actually do this right
0: well and heck it's not too early to think about what we're going to do next so if you got some suggestions N- no that's that's start. not true it's way too early no <laughs> stock
1: that shelf um all right so thank you for listening to these first two episodes and uh hang in there strap in it's going to be a long ride and um i'm personally really looking forward to it so we'll see you all there